So, David. Yes. Interesting thing. Yes, go yeah, on. Yeah, I was, you know, perusing the internet. As you I were do. on the internets. The internets. And something caught my eye. Really? Yeah. What? It was You're a. You're not looking at porn again, are you? Actually, yeah, as we speak. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> it was basically Ukraine has detained a woman. Over mm-hmm. a plot mm. to assassinate Vladimir Zelensky. Yes, I read about this myself. Please go on. Yeah, and it was basically a Ukrainian woman who was detained in this assassination plot. She was caught giving out details about what, or trying to get details of his whereabouts. Where he was going to be when he went down to southern Ukraine to visit the troops. Yes. So then that started me down a rabbit hole. And no, I didn't go into a deep, dark hole. You're like building you do. a blanket fort at home, I, aren't you? Okay. I may have I may have the sides up. <laughs> I put a blanket over my head. Yeah. And what I found was Russian spies were basically declared more effective than the army. This is an absolute spy war. Yes. Right? And I think we really need to have a really close, hard look at what's going on over there in the Close year. and hard, you know that's how I like it. Well, you're the one looking at porn under a blanket. It's true. To I Spy, the assassination attempt of Australian intelligence. Yeah, you know, uh, you, you don't know where uh, I could find someone to kill, do you? I do, uh, just ask for a friend. Ask uh, for a friend. That's an interesting question. No, 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 just, you know, just, it's just a, a, a political killing. It, it's nothing personal. Okay. I just, you know, anyone that needs to be shot around here? Do you have a gun? Uh, oh, God, no. Oh, well, it looks like I'm going to have to choke him out. Okay. Welcome to I Spied. My name is Michelle Stevenson. I'm here with David Callan. And yes, we're going to tackle spies, but we're going to tackle spies in regards to the current war, the Russian-Ukraine war, now, and what's going on there. Yeah. Now, I, I actually, somebody said, I might have even been on Twitter, and if you want to get into X. the conversation. X. X. Sorry, X. You X can Twitter. X us. You can X us at I Spied Podcast. At um, I Spied Podcast. Now, somebody actually said in about five to ten years, yep. all of these amazing stories are going to come out about mm. what the spies were getting up to during the Ukraine-Russian war. Because what's really interesting is it's not just the Russians that are doing some really good work with it. It seems that the Ukrainians are doing a hell of a good job as well. Yes. Now, I, I have found – I was doing a little bit of research and there was a lot of Ukrainians, particularly like in those little – those Ukrainian – the Russian-held parts of Ukraine. Donetsk and Yeah, and, but they're Russian-speaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, there was this assumption that, you know, if they're Russian-speaking that they would automatically fall on the side of Russia, mm-hmm. but apparently no. There's mm. a lot of instances where they, they haven't liked what they're seeing. And I think I think also what from what I've read, there's a lot of Russian-speaking Ukrainians Ukrainians who think that, you know, we didn't expect that they would bomb us. Yeah. And look, this is a thing that's going on as well. A lot of the tactics the Russians are using, which are tactics they've developed Mm. in Syria, which is, here's an interesting point. Russia are still in Syria, right? So their military split. They're everywhere. But what's really interesting about this is there's a thing they call the double tap. Yep. Right now, uh, it is illegal to bomb. Uh, it, it's a war crime to bomb a hospital. Right. So what the allies, the Americans and their allies, were doing in Syria were saying to the Russians and the Syrians, "This is a hospital. Don't bomb it." Within forty-eight hours, that hospital would be bombed. Now, what they do mm. is the double tap is they'd send a missile into the hospital, blow it up, wait forty minutes when the first responders arrived then hit it a second time. It's terrible. Now, they're doing that in, um, I think it was Donetsk or near Donetsk, a uh, hotel that was popular with journalists mm. was struck. And then 40 minutes later, when all the 
the responders who were there, it was struck again. Well, there's been a lot of um, instances, particularly in wars currently, where journalists are being targeted, whereas mm. before, p- previously, that wasn't the case. Journalists were never targeted. They were there and they were seen as just someone who was um, – wait, wait. Well, you know, 1975 in Balibo in – Timor. Yeah, it's about Balibo. Yes, but I mean, that was a rare occurrence. Well, the, the, the interesting thing is with journalists, and we can talk about this, this was one of the things about the first Gulf mm. War was they were embedding journalists with the troops. Yes. And then they realised, hang on, we're getting too much information out. That's oh, why journalists yeah. are being targeted is we don't want people to know, which is where our intelligence services come in, at least their intelligence services per se. It's not particularly Australia that's doing the work. But over there... The intelligence services, it, the thing about a war is it, you know, we talk about the grey zone. This is literally <laughs> yeah. the black zone. You Stuff is going on behind enemy lines on both sides yes. that we just don't know about and we won't know about. Yeah, well, actually, speaking of Black Zone, yes. I, I've just started getting deep, deep into The Blacklist. If you haven't watched it with James Spader, oh, oh my yeah, God, yeah. it's so good. Anyway, they're up to their 10th season. There's 22 apps a season. It's a, it's a lot of viewing, mm-hmm. but let me tell you, I'm deep, deep, deep in that hole, and it's so, so good. And and you're in that <laughs> hole with James Spader. What could be worse? James Spader's amazing. He's fantastic. He's so good. Anyway, so there was this UK defence think tank which had looked into a lot of this stuff, and it said basically that Russia's security and intelligence service have achieved greater success in Ukraine than than their military. Yeah, so well, I'm not, I'm not, I would not be at all surprised. I mean, particularly on the cyber side, what's mm. really interesting is they're they're incredibly active in cyber. And what's interesting as well is the Ukrainians' ability to react to that is yep. equally as good. They seem to, that seems to be the real battlefront at the moment is more the intelligence side, particularly online. Yeah, and then like. Even the Ukrainians are currently complaining to the Americans and the Germans going, you're giving us the wrong gear. Yeah. Like you're sending us into uh, tank battles with stuff that's designed to like fight a counterinsurgency, not fight a mechanised battle. Yeah. The Russian tanks, I, I don't know, I love this. The Russian tanks are now called pop tops. Pop tops. Pop tops. Because what they do is their their magazine mm. is a carousel that sits directly below the turret. And it's yeah. an automatic system, an automatic loader. And it pops. And what pops happens off. is if you get one canister of propellant, so with a tank shell, like any major artillery mm. piece, you have the projectile, so the warhead goes in, and then you put a little packet of basically gunpowder yep. inside behind it. And that way you can change your warheads out. You don't and also shells when they're one big piece, they're bloody heavy. Yeah. So, you know, one piece goes in, second piece goes in. So that sits on top. There's a ring of explosives mm. sitting on top of a ring of projectiles. Now that way the tank has one less person, it's lighter, it doesn't need to be as heavily armed, it's a lot more manoeuvrable. As soon as it gets hit with something, these little propellant cartridges Pop off. are not Shielded. They actually so if one goes, they all go. They literally blow off in a ring and they blow the the turret off the tank. I mean, apart from the fact that someone would die in that, that'd be quite cool. Not someone. <laughs> everyone in that tank dies. And also, there's how many there's people are in a tank? Do you reckon three? three. In the in the Russian tanks, there's in three. The Russian tanks. And look, it will blow the top off the tank. And there was a, there's a photo on Twitter. I'll, if I find it, I'll post it at I Spy Podcast. Um, on sorry, on X. X. And it's two stories up mm. in a building. Mm. It's been flicked up and landed I mean, on top of the building. It's kind of a cool little game if it wasn't so horrific. If it wasn't so deadly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if it was, <laughs> if you then respawned back in Russia with your parents. But this is the other thing that's coming. Russia has been very good at controlling the information sphere 
for everything getting back to the civilian population. It's not working anymore. No, and um, what what this think tank also found, and, and I've done a little bit of research on this, but like a lot of, it's getting a lot of those inmates and saying, do you want to go on work release and all of that? Yeah, and yeah. then they're just showing up in a wall. Yeah. That they didn't know that they were being sent to. Would you like to. to do an internship with a gun? <laughs> yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah, and then they're like, next minute they're signing up to the war and then yeah. a lot of that stuff is now feeding back. That's feeding back, but also mm. parents are finding their children not coming home, right? Yeah. And when I say their children, they're adult children. <laughs> like, he went to the store and now <laughs> he he's went, not coming back. He went, to buy a pack, he went to buy a pack of cigarettes and now he's coming back in pieces. Yes. Right? And this is the real tragedy of what's going on is – it's all getting exposed, yep. and yet the intelligence services on both sides are doing an absolutely bang-up job in keeping this thing boiling. Right? Yeah. So what this think tank found, and this this think tank you kind of came to these conclusions with a report that was compiled using sources including some captured documents. Yep. So Russian spy agencies actually began preparing for the invasion of Ukraine as far back as June 2021. Oh, that wouldn't surprise me at all. No, exactly. But one of the things that they did find was that they basically the FSB had said to Vladimir Putin, um, maybe hold off. We're not quite ready. <laughs> not ready yet. And he didn't. Yeah, of course not. <laughs> so, and we've spoken about this, about how the spy agencies, FSB and everything have kind of said, no, maybe let's not invade right but now. But th- again, this comes down to any intelligence organisation in the world. You can you can argue the point till you're blue in the face, mm. but if the leadership wants to go ahead, the leadership will go ahead. I mean, that's just, the, that's politics. And it's not, your job is to advise and act on policy, not to define and determine, Yeah. right, when action is actually taken place. Now, just going back to that assassination of or the assassination attempt on Vladimir Zelensky, what's interesting about that is, one, it's not the first one that's happened. He's no. the most targeted person on the planet right now. In fact, at one point, someone said, you know, how do you feel about these assassination attempts? Are you worried about it? And he said, if I was to worry about all the assassination attempts, I would literally be curled up in a ball, in a ball under my bed. He said, I don't have the time to do it. Vladimir Putin doesn't hide in a bunker. I've got to be out and I've got to be seen. Yeah. So, but what was interesting is like, I feel like this woman wasn't very good. So, no. uh, <laughs> well, either that or the intelligence services were, right? Yeah. And that could come down to simply someone going, I mean, it's like when Misha, our good our friend mm. of the podcast, Misha Zelensky, mm. was basically saying that he was walking around Zelensky's hometown going, I'm, I'm looking for Volodymyr, you know, the story yeah. of Volodymyr Zelensky, and he could only speak Russian. Right. It could have been as simple as somebody asking questions and someone turning around to either a military officer or someone they knew who was active intelligence and went, this person keeps asking a lot of really bad questions. Yeah. So this woman was essentially trying to ask about Zelensky's itinerary ahead of his visit to one of the regions. So, And the plan was to hit it with a missile strike. Yes. Now, Ukraine regularly accuses local residents who support Russia of passing info to help Moscow. So this is nothing new. So Zelensky said that the head of the SBU had updated him about the fight against traitors. Yeah. And I would imagine that as we, we spoke about, this is quite complex. Like it would be happening. You wouldn't even know who to trust. Look, you wouldn't know who to trust. I mean, interestingly enough, the the big question is, okay, you kill him, what happens next? Yeah. Now there's a really interesting thing. I'm gonna we're gonna do a little bit of deep dive now into how assassination works because it's really important. Um, you in, mean you don't just get a gun and shoot someone? Well, here's the thing. <laughs> what 
why would you assassinate him, right? Okay, one, he's an extremely charismatic leader. He's managed to basically get most of the West on side. He, it's it's pretty unusual, to be honest. Yeah, it's very unusual. Now, the interesting and thing is... And it must be killing Putin that he's still alive. A, he's still alive. <laughs> B, he's still walking around in that green T-shirt. And C... Everyone loves him. <laughs> Everyone loves him. Now, yeah. the interesting thing is the National Bureau of Economic Research in the United States did a did research into assassination. Of the 59 assassinations, that's how many there have been of national leaders mm. since 1875. 59 national leaders have been killed. In that, assassination of autocrats mm. produces major conflicts and problems in that country. But if you assassinate the leader of a democracy – it doesn't have that much impact. Yeah. I mean, and interestingly enough, if you look at, say, the United States, which is probably one of the worst countries for the assassination of leadership, you've had four presidents shot. Yeah. Um, there's been 15 attempts. Well, everyone has a fucking gun. Yeah. But so you've had lost Lincoln, Garfield, McKinley and Kennedy. Mm. And the shooting of Kennedy still resonates. I mean, yeah. the shooting of, of Lincoln still resonates. Two presidents have been wounded, Teddy Roosevelt and Ronald Reagan, 15 multiple plots against presidents, just plots, and that's just 15 presidents have had plots against them. Obama had the most. Trump, somebody was going to kill Trump with a forklift. I mean, mean, (laughs) you would need a forklift. Yeah. Now, (laughs) so the thing is the United States has – there is a lot of assassination that goes on in the United States, but the thing is they have a clear line of succession. But they also have they have access to guns and high grade military ammunition. Yeah, yeah, like, there is I that. mean it's it's and all I And would, forklifts. They have access and to forklifts. forklifts. And I would also counteract that the access to guns also changes their perspective on what they're willing to do. Yes, definitely. You have the because, ability, you have access, you can actually... Because you could just go, I don't like that person, I can just shoot that person dead. Whereas here, if you want to shoot someone, it would take a little bit of running bit of around. Time. You have to do a running around. you got to <laughs> yeah. find a gun. you got to find a gun. It would be really hard. And easy. It's, it's, honestly, it's just easy standing at the doors of Parliament House and going, you suck. And yeah. basically you've done your bit. Yeah. Or you start a podcast and then you have the right-left divide that we, we enjoy right now. <laughs> I am not right. I'm centrist. Moderate. 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a moderate. I'm humanist. Um, so, but the whole thing is, it's like assassination is an ext- exceptionally mm. useful tool in statecraft if it's used wisely and well yep. and used against the right target. See, Putin, it's his number one suppressor is is assassination. He just kills anyone outright. You know, how many people have fallen out a window? I mean, I don't know why they build places with windows anymore. Man, I would be <laughs> – my house would be a multi-storey bunker. Yeah. Um, but the whole thing is it's used as a tool because it leaves a political void. Now, yep. in the Ukraine, the line of succession works that it'll be handed over to the chairman of the Verkova Rada, which is their, their parliament. Now, yep. this is a guy by the name of Ruslan Stefanczak. Yeah. And he's pro-West, but he's not that popular. And most people would say that he would take over, but it would be the Minister of Defence, it would be the Chief of Zelensky's Chief of Staff. He'd take over, but it would be the Chief of Defence, the Foreign Minister, the Chief mm. of Zelensky's Staff that would then basically set up a, a triumvirate or a cabal of power until there is an election. Now, that's what would be appealing to Russia mm. is as soon as you go to an election, that's something they can play with. Yeah, 100%. And also, I mean, Zelensky is kind of the face of of the war. Man, it's it's going to be really hard to find someone replace him. In fact, they were talking about how there's another film star that's been working on his staff that they would probably look at putting forward because again, 
he's a popular face. It's yep. that weird thing. Everyone sort of went, Ronald Reagan, a movie star becoming a president. But again, he's one of the most loved presidents, though looking at the Republican Party now, he would never make it as a Republican candidate. Just to get back to the war, and I know that we've spoken extensively a lot about the the Russian forces getting in there, but what we, we don't really talk about, even though it's probably pretty obvious, is how they seize Ukrainian government records from local headquarters. So every yeah. time they you know take over a place, they would then go and then they would download the computer hard drives, which then allow them to build lists of who was working for the state and where they lived. Yep. And then they would go and they would torture them, allegedly. I mean, we know. And um, a lot of the times they weren't torturing them to flip them or to get information. They were using it as an intimidation tactic. Yeah. Well, to kind that, of scare people. It's the classic thing. Shoot, yeah, Every now and then you have to kill a general to keep the others in line. Yeah. And this is a way of basically – and we talked about this not last week, the week before, where we were talking about how the use of intimidation is an extreme, yeah. exceptionally powerful tool. Now, particularly when you're in something like a war zone where – it is the Wild West. There is no law. Once it becomes disputed It's every man for himself. It's every man for yeah. himself. And you've really got to be careful as to what's going to happen to you. So at least 800 Ukrainian officials were co-opted into working for the FSB. Now, some of them were willingly, some yeah. of them were coerced. Yep. And at the same time, electronic warfare units worked to cut off access to Ukrainian TV, radio, and the internet. So that's when they were trying to like further isolate areas yeah. of the population. So it's, it's interesting how these are all the things... Whenever we think of the war, we think of the tanks, we think of the guns. Yes. But this is this is where it's happening. The, this well, is the coal phase. Let's go back to World War Two, right? Yeah. Where we have the heroic storming of the beaches in Normandy. We have, you know, Anzano and we have North Africa campaign. Yeah. We have the Russians doing their thing. All of this stuff goes on. Right. But now with the distance of time, we're getting the, st- the stories of what the SOE and the OSS, so mm. the, the intelligence services were doing to actually make those things possible. And that's the same thing with this. The Russians are keeping them, the Russian intelligence services are keeping the Russians in the war because their military is really unsatisfactory. I mean, yeah. and in a funny way, we've the West has underestimated the Russians and the Russians have underestimated the Ukrainians. And in fact, the West have underestimated Ukraine. Most of the West were thinking, well, this is going to be over in three days. Yeah. Literally, the 72 we hours. We all thought that. Well, yeah, it's been 18 months to take 72 hours to take, Kiev. So this is the thing. It's like war is always a, a very fractious and extremely unpredictable situation to be in. Now, with the Russians and what they're doing, interestingly enough, one of the things that's come up at the moment that a lot of people are talking about, the Ukrainians especially, have gone, mm. why are they still on the Security Council? Now, unfortunately, they are permanent members of the Security mm. Council, and the only way you can be removed as a permanent member is all permanent members agree that you need to be removed. If you're a permanent member, you immediately veto that idea. So we can't actually <laughs> get like rid of Russia. 22. But here's the interesting thing. But I don't think we should be getting rid of Russia. Well, yeah, at the moment, it's, it's we, an autocratic regime that is... I know, but we don't want to further isolate them. We don't want to further isolate them, but we don't Keep want... your friends closer, your enemies closer. Isn't that the old saying? Yeah, that's a good point, yeah. I'll give you that. But the problem we have is anything that the UN want to do is automatically blocked. I, I understand that, but like we can't kick people out because we don't agree with them and don't like them. I mean, exactly. at the end of the day, we there are a lot of countries that we don't agree how they they run. I mean, Saudi Arabia, big one, uh, China, and they're one. Uh, interesting enough. The Saudi Arabians are currently the 
chair of the mm. Human Rights Committee. Which I is mean, like, the oh. irony is it's just dripping in irony. How did that happen? I don't know. But interestingly, like with this think tank report, yep. it, it did say, and, and we've spoken about this a lot as well, that the Russian special services lack the honesty to report accurately about their own efforts, <laughs> which yeah. is kind of like what their downfall is, and that there appears to be a systemic problem of over-reporting one's successes and concealing weaknesses to superiors. Again, we've spoken about this, but that is kind of what they see would be their downfall. This is the major problem with an organisation, like any intelligence organisation in an autocratic regime. The autocrat wants to hear what he wants to hear. And if you don't tell him what he wants to hear, you will be punished for it. So immediately you're undermining your own ability to report intelligence correctly. And look, clear communication. One of the things that ASIO have been doing recently very well is reporting without fear or favour. I mean, one of the things that happens, depending on the government that's running the, like whoever's in power at the time, sometimes our intelligence services can be politicised and as soon as you politicise an intelligence organisation, you undermine its capacity to do its job correctly. Now, with Russia, also it doesn't help that the big boss, that Putin is ex- KGB, which is what the FSB is now, he's already got his fingers in that pie. He's got a lot of control over that organisation, though at the moment what's also coming out of Russia is they're getting sick of it. The intelligence services Mm. don't like having to kowtow so much to one person. Well, I would imagine too. There, it's it's kind of like a, a fruitless operation at the moment. I mean, you know, the spy networks are gaining where they're losing on, yeah. on the actual gaining of ground. Exactly. So at what point do you go? Why are we doing this? Well, I mean, one of the things that came up, and it was very interesting, is a beautiful animation uh, on a group called Non Credible Defense, which basically had you know Volodymyr Zelensky turning around to the mm. West, going, "Quick, give me that stuff. I really need it. Not yet." Not yet. No, no, no. I really need it. And meanwhile, in the background of this animation, there are just Russian troops putting in what are called uh, dragon teeth, those big pyramids that stop tanks. The problem is it took so long for the West to arm Ukraine that what's happened is the Russians are dug in. And this is the big problem with the offensive at the moment. We don't know if the Ukrainian counteroffensive is really working. We don't know if the Russian counter counteroffensive is really working because, of course, the information coming out is extremely biased from both sides. We're doing really well. It's what No one's going to say, oh, look, we've, we've screwed up and this isn't working. At what point as a spy do you think this has gone on too far and where <laughs> this is kind of a fruitless exercise and... Uh, very often. That's... Yeah. Look, I can guarantee you there are intelligence officers that sit around just shaking their head going, why the hell are we still here? The problem being... Because they'd be supremely... My idea, my take on, you know, these kinds of people is they'd be supremely intelligent. They'd yep. be used to being in these situations and, you know, assessing the risk and assessing what's going on around them. So I feel like at some point they're like, why? Yeah. Oh, look, that's that was one of the things that was always very interesting working at ASIO. There were moments, particularly like with the fall of the Berlin Wall, mm. that completely changed the culture of ASIO. Right. Right. That was 50% of what we did was the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union was gone. And thankfully, Saddam Hussein leapt out of the sand and gave us something else to focus on. And then the war on terror. Now, this is the thing. Your focus shifts. Yeah, um, we're not I, talking about terrorism at, at all. <laughs> what? I can't COVID, remember the last time we talked about it. I don't want to be you know, sound flip about it, but COVID literally killed terrorism as a as a problem for Australia. It's like we've, you know, Burjo has turned around over the last two mm. or three annual reports and annual threat assessments and said, 
Espionage is our focus because espionage is our focus and to always be our focus because as much as we're going to have groups like – and ISIL is still there. Al-Qaeda is still there. Of course they are. You know, all of these different organizations are still around, but they're so marginalized now and they're so desperate to – like there's so many like power struggles going on within those organizations that they're kind of moribund. Now, does that mean they're going to go away forever? No. I mean, I I guess all they need is kind of like this idea of a cabal or something to kind of bring those those yeah. marginalised groups together and then kind of start that fight again. Well, one person basically created yeah. the war on terror by flying three planes or four planes or two planes into a... And it was genius. It was yeah, genius. Utterly brilliant strategic yeah. thinking. Long plan. And it did exactly what it planned to do. It dragged America into a war it didn't need to fight. Right? So that's... That's one thing we've got to do. And look, the whole thing with intelligence working in Afghanistan, that was an industry. Mm. That became, like, in Afghanistan and in Iraq, like, Australia had basically, through the War of Terror, Australia had more ASIO officers overseas than ASIS officers overseas. Right. Because we needed to liaise with so many people. Yeah. Right. And Iraq was a huge station for our intelligence services. Right. I, I had a mate who was posted to Baghdad, which was just like, holy crap, what's it like? And he went, Noisy and yet very dull. Yeah. Um, So the thing is, what's going on now is our focus will always shift. And at the moment, our focus is really hard on particularly places like Russia. China has not gone away. China has done the is the really big winner out of this at the moment. Oh, one hundred percent, because they're all like, "Look over there, it's not us." Yeah. Um, so- but they're also like, "There's." I don't know if you heard about it, where a Filipino ship was protecting. They've done the same thing. Mm. The Filipinos have done the same thing. The Chinese have done. They've taken a little island in the Spratlys, a little reef, and gone. Yeah. Well, this is. They've run a ship aground, and then they they put troops there. But they've got to resupply them. So they used a Coast Guard cutter. Well, the Chinese showed up with an even bigger Coast Guard cutter and just kept spraying them with water. Amazing. Right? Now, the Filipinos were ready to open fire and the Americans were saying, you can't. As soon as you do that, that's open warfare and no one's ready for this. So the Chinese are still doing their grey zone stuff, still getting up to mischief. And at the moment, their espionage game is off the chart. And we do need to talk about it because there's been a lot of stuff happened recently with the Chinese. But the whole thing is the Chinese have gone, yeah, having a look. A guy's just invaded a country right next door and he's struggling. Do we really need to do Taiwan yet? Yeah. We'll no. keep rattling that sabre because it keeps everybody else jumping. But right now, while we're rattling our sabre, there's a whole bunch of other things we're doing down in India, over in Tibet, on the you know, on the border of Vietnam. There's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, and they have I mean, China as well has a has a fair with TikTok has a, the whole soft power thing going on quite nicely. Oh yeah. Um, which I would like to talk to because I found some talk talk about as well because I found some interesting stuff about TikTok and the Chinese government. So maybe we should chat China. I'd love to chat China. We should actually next episode let's okay. do China. Let's and also I want to do the Xi Jinping dancing video on TikTok. No I'm kidding, there isn't one. Though there should be. Okay. All right. We're done with Russia? Uh, yeah. Cool. I'm gonna go <laughs> I'm gonna go over to the samovar and make myself a cup of tea.